0: If you'd like to uh, turn with me in your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Good morning, church. It's Good to see everyone here today. My name is Jay Nimtim and I'm one of the full-time servants here at the Central Church of Christ. Uh, I've been doing this for, I think, almost five years now, anniversary in September. So in my experience—oh, thank you. Thank you. Didn't expect that. Thank you. In my experience uh, preaching and teaching the Word of God, the Bible, I found that there are just generally two reasons why— some Bible passages or Bible doctrines may be difficult to preach and teach about. The first reason that a Bible passage or a Bible doctrine could be difficult to preach and teach about is because, number one, it's hard to understand. Maybe it's confusing. Maybe it's shocking to read, up, to read about at first, and it leads to people misunderstanding the passage. And the second reason why I find that uh, some Bible passages or teachings are hard to preach and teach about is not that they're hard to understand. Actually, they're, they're straightforward. They're relatively easy to understand. But the difficulty comes in the fact that when you read it, you understand it. It's just really hard to put into practice. You read it and you go... I don't want to do that. This morning, we're going to talk about a topic that's both. It's relatively easy to understand, but it's really hard to put into practice. And I think part of the reason is we get confused. So it's both. So this morning, what I would like to talk to you about is Jesus' command. all of us to love our enemies. And this morning we are going to focus our attention on Matthew chapter 5 verses 43 to 48. That's our scripture reading that was just read to us this morning. And what we're going to do is we're going to affirm this morning in our minds and in our hearts the need for us to dive deep and actively into this command that For us Christians, loving our enemies is God's will for us. And this is something that we need to grow into. Okay? Um, In this passage, we're going to look at what Jesus says about loving our enemies. In fact, in that particular passage, he tells us at least four things about loving our enemies. First thing that he tells us is he gives us this. Um, this natural instinct that the world has in how they want to deal with their enemies. And then he goes on to say, well, we don't want this. This is what I want you to do. He tells us what his standard for us is to love our enemies. And then the third thing that he tells us to do, t- t- he tells us this, this is the reason why I want you to do this. And then finally, he gives us how we are going to be able to effectively delve headfirst into this in our lives as Christians. The first thing that he tells us is the going rate in the world of how to deal with your enemies. In verse 43, he says, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus here is, was quoting Leviticus chapter 19 the first part there you shall love your neighbor That's actually in scripture in the old testament the jewish people were very familiar with that In leviticus 19 verse 18 Scripture tells us do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people But love your neighbor as yourself I am the lord but what they have done is they added an amendment to this law right there's, there's like i don't know how many amendments. maybe i'm we're gonna call it the first amendment right they, they they said well love your neighbor then this is what they added but hate your enemy that is what they've done and you're thinking right now well that makes sense that's the first instinct that i had like oh that, that makes sense you should love your neighbor but hate your enemy why did they have to add that amendment Well, because they defined neighbor in such a way that led them to identify people who are not part of their definition of neighbor, and they automatically regarded them as their enemy. It was easy. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But the idea is this. Are we supposed to follow that same principle? What about how about how, how about us today? Is that something that we that 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 that, that we do today? I, I, this is what the world does. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, if somebody does you harm, you don't want you want nothing to do with them, right? You don't want to be neutral. You want to go further. Okay, you did this against me. I'm going to do this to you as well. And I'm going to hate you. And because of that hate that I have in my heart against you, I'm going to do you wrong as well. That's what happens. But this, in our lesson today, Jesus tells us to rise above that hate. Instead of hate, what's the opposite of hate? Love. Love your neighbors. So, the Jewish leaders of the day did not do that. Okay, instead of them, okay, instead of them uh, having an enemy because somebody wants to hurt them, they have an enemy, they have enemies because they also want to do harm against other people. Do you guys see the difference there? Do you guys see the difference it 's not that there's people wanting to do them harm, not only that, but they also want to do harm against them. That is why. They call them enemy. Jesus tells us though, and he clarifies for us what neighbor actually means. Do you guys remember that in the New Testament, there was this Pharisee, a teacher of the law, a religious leader went and asked Jesus, Jesus, what should I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? What does Jesus say? Well, he asked him, he answered him by asking him another question. Well, what do you, what do you think? You're a teacher of the law. You should know this. And he did. He answered Jesus by reciting to Jesus the Shema. Do you guys remember the Shema? Every child in Israel, even today, would know what the Shema is. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, the Lord is God. And here it is right here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then he also quoted, because he's a teacher of the law, Leviticus 19 verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does Jesus say in verse 28? You have responded correctly. Go and do these things. But the Pharisee was not done yet. Because remember, he had a different understanding of the word neighbor. When he defines neighbor, like the rest of the religious leaders back then, it led them, it led him to the conclusion that he would love his neighbor, but hate some groups of people. Actively hate some groups of people. Not, okay, not neutral. Okay, I'm not going to do anything about them. I'm not going to do them hard. I'm not going to do them good either. But I'm going to hate them. That is what his understanding was. So he asked the question, okay? And the reason why is he wanted to justify himself. himself. So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Do you guys remember how Jesus responded to this question? He says, not one word, not two words, but he told a parable about this. Do you guys remember the parable? The parable of the good Samaritan. Do you guys know what a Samaritan was back in those days? Samaritan literally was one of their enemies. If you think about it really strongly, you know the amendment to hate your enemy? As for the Samaritans. Hate those guys. But Jesus told a parable to answer the question, who's my neighbor? Using the good guy in his story... As the Samaritan. That's why it's called the parable of the good Samaritan. He flipped it backwards. Jesus chose to show the love of God deep in the heart of this enemy, the Samaritan. To show the love of God to his enemy, the Jewish person who was lying on the side of the road, needing help. He was the one to come to the aid of of that jewish person on the road his perceived enemy so what is jesus trying to tell us in this parable what is jesus trying to tell us who is our neighbor he's telling us that our neighbor includes everybody in our sphere of influence our neighbor includes every person that surrounds us including our enemy What a, what a lesson. I know we understand this, but we need to get that sinking deep in our minds and in our hearts. Because that's the love of God in our hearts. Love your enemy. But the world, because they do not have God, because Jesus is not the ruler of them, does not believe this. They think this is futile. They think that If somebody does bad against you, the worst thing that you could do is not do anything about it. That's why we see memes like this. Meme is like an internet thing with picture and then thing on top and the bottom. Don't get mad, get even. And then we see memes that that do better than this. Okay, have you guys seen this one right here? He doesn't get even. Whatever things that were done against him, he does the same thing and then some. I'm telling you guys, that was the world that I was in before I became a Christian. In the world where I had no Christ in my heart. No God in my life. That is how I did things. The worst thing that I could ever do was not avenge myself or get ahead you know like knowing the church this was the thing that that really prevented me from going into the waters of baptism to accept jesus as lord of my life it's not the music it is not you know any other doctrine that's difficult for us to accept It is that I have to love my enemy. It's tough. But what does Jesus want us to do instead? Look at verse 44. Verse 44 tells us what Jesus' standard for us is as his people. He says, Not that one, but this one. I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I want you guys to look at that screen and I want you to read it in your minds again. Because I want you guys to, I want us all to really understand this. Not gloss over it. No mincing words there. Somebody intentionally wants to do harm against you. What does Jesus say? You bless them. You do good to them. And you pray for them. Here's our instinct. Here's my instinct. Somebody does bad against me, I do like what that guy says with a mustache. I don't get even, I get ahead. Okay? Okay. But sometimes you probably, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, people would be like, well, you know what? When somebody does bad against me, I just forget about them. I just write them off from my life. I don't do anything to them. I don't talk to them. Not do anything. You know, not exacting retribution or revenge is a good thing. You know, we read that in scripture because revenge, retribution, who, who, you know who that belongs to? That belongs to God. So not avenging yourself is a good thing. But that is not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus did not say, "But I say to you, if somebody does something bad against you, forget about them. Don't retaliate. He, he's not saying that. He's calling us to something that's way higher than that. He's telling us, don't do anything negative. Don't retaliate. He's telling us, don't do anything neutral, right? Don't just, don't just write them off and don't talk to them again. He's saying we have to do something actively positive for them. Do you guys see that? Do good for them. Bless them and pray for them. That is a high calling, isn't it? We cannot be like the Pharisees back in the day who said, well, these are my friends. These are my neighbors. They're my friends, my relatives, the people that look like me, the people that like me, the people that share my vision, my mission, my values. If you don't fall into that, then you're my enemy. It's not that I'm not going to talk to you or touch you or do anything with you. I'm going to hate you. At every turn, I'm probably going to do something bad against you because that's hate. In your heart right there. You're going to think badly about them. You're going to talk badly about them. You're going to malign them to your kids, to your relatives, to your neighbors. So they're vilified in their eyes and in my eyes. The question here is this. Do we have enemies? As Christians, as God's people, do we have enemies? Okay, that's the real question. Our enemies are those, Jesus says, are those who want to curse us, who wants to, who, who hates us, who spitefully use us, persecutes us, do intentional harm against us. It's not like it's an accident. It's not like they, 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 you know, you know, they were mistaken or something. They really want to do something bad against us. Those are our enemies. But here's the point that we're trying to make. Yes, we understand there are people that are against us. There are people who curse us, who hates us, who hate us, who spitefully use us and persecute us. Okay, but here's the question that I want us to answer. Are there people in our lives today that we want to harm? Are there people in our lives today that we wish bad? Uh, that, that we wish bad to happen to them. Are there people today that keep us up at night, with thinking, "Oh, how many like how many ways we can do harm against them?" Or, you know, are there people in your lives that you think about that right now, like that? That's the difference. If that's the case, we're becoming like the Pharisees who lump neighbor and enemy in different spheres. The child of God, the children of God, the church, we are called to rise above that instinct. You know, I'm pretty sure there's many, many times that people have done you wrong. And you, wanna, you just want to like, give them a piece of your mind or exact the exact same thing that they have done against you. I raise my hand to that. I struggle with that. I don't know how many times our garage has been broken into. I think three times. Is it correct, think Three times? I think three times. And my car has been stolen, too. Not in my garage, but in the parking lot here. Have I thought about doing bad things against people? I gotta admit, I've had some thoughts. But Jesus tells us to rise above that hate with love. I'm reading the same thing you're reading here, right? We're, we're not making this up right now. This is the command. And if we, if we do church, like I, I, I talk to you about this all the time. If we do church in a certain way that, you know, it's just something that I go to. It's just a club for me. It's just a nice because people there are nice. I mean, people here are really nice, right? But it's way more than that. It's a lifestyle. It is a relationship that we have with God and with each other. It is our purpose to shine a light to people. And one of the things that Jesus tells us is, if you're going to shine a light to people, to the world, you're going to have to love. And that love includes the people that don't like you. That love includes the people that actually want to hurt you. So, um, in 1 Corinthians thirteen four 4-7, we, you know, we are told... The practical ways of, of going about to do this—to love, to love everybody in our sphere, including the people that we don't like. Okay, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Always trusts. Always. Hopes always perseveres. Love your enemy. What is love? Right there. You will notice that nowhere in there is a word that's a feeling. Do you guys notice that? You will notice that love is never a feeling. Do you guys notice it? And nowhere in the command that we are talking about in Matthew 5, 43 to 48, does Jesus say, you know, love your enemy. But if you feel like not, <laughs> don't. Never says that. Love is not a feeling. It is a decision. It is, it is, it is a, 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 a devotion that you say to yourself, you know what? I'm going to do this especially When I feel angry, upset, or hurt? When do you need to be kind to others? When do you need to be patient with your kids? When they're all doing well? When they're washing the dishes and, you know, putting away the dishes and cleaning the floors? No. You're going to be patient with them when they're not doing well. The same thing with our enemy, right? Patience, kindness, and everything that goes under the umbrella of love is an action that we decide to do. It's not a feeling, it is a decision. So, when the Apostle Paul tells us this in Romans 12, verse 8 if possible, live peaceably with all, we understand what it, what it means. There's a blank, there's a big blank missing in there. You guys notice that, right? We'll get to that in a second. But if the Apostle Paul just wrote this, what would you think of this passage? He says, if possible, live peaceably with all. Oh, yeah, that's easy. I can do that. Because if possible. But you know what? Many times it's not possible. Because many times I don't feel like it. Do you guys see that? That's one of the things that, as Christians, if we don't do this, if we don't have that love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross for the sins of many, including the people that are are enemies against Jesus, including us, we will look at Scripture, and the first thing, every time we look at Scripture, that we think about is, how do I get get around that? What is the exception of that? Love your enemy, but... You're probably thinking about that before we even started this lesson. You know, no, yeah, yeah, I know that. But, if possible, live peaceably with all. Well, it's not. It's so good that the Apostle Paul included a clause in there to clarify this. Do you guys remember what that clause is? If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Well, you're probably thinking, oh, it's the same thing. You can still get out of that. Oh, it doesn't depend on me anymore. It means like, you know, he really hurt me that time. I'm done. That is not what this means. This means that if you're going to have a bad relationship with another person or a group of people, the reason cannot be you. If people are going to be your enemy, it's because they want to be, they want to treat you as their enemy, not you wanting to treat them as your enemy. As far as it depends on us, it means that if there's a bad relationship in our life, we're going to do everything within our power to right the relationship. Realizing that a relationship It's two ways, right? But my part, our part, has to be done out of love. It has to be transparent. I'm going to come up to you and own my part in the conflict. I'm going to identify the ways that I've wronged you. I am going to apologize to you and make things right. And I am going to forgive your part in the conflict. I am, giving, I am going to give you everything that you need to amend or to mend this relationship that we have. That is what that means. And that also rings true for our enemies. Now, this has practical implications. It has practical implications on how we view people. How do you view people? Do do we normally view people as untrustworthy? Do we normally view people as incapable of doing good? Remember what love is? Love hopes all things, believes all things. Do you guys see that? Love is positive, not negative. And it's the same with our view of others. Many times we view people with this, with this lens of distrust, okay? I'm going to show you an example and you're going to understand what I'm talking about. What do you guys normally think about? Imagine something that you really love, an object, maybe a really nice sunglasses, okay? Okay, you go to your drawer where you normally keep your really nice sunglasses and it's not there. What's the first thing that you think about? Somebody stole it. Somebody stole it. Bad people. It's going to affect your view of others. Immediately, you have an enemy in mind. Somebody stole my glasses. And then you're asking people, Hey, have you seen my glasses? Did you go in here and get my glasses? We have an enemy right away. We got to rise above that. Okay? Rise above it. Next, it's going to affect how we resolve our conflicts with people, our misunderstandings with people. We are going to actually listen to them and not give them a piece of our mind. Because usually in a conflict, there's, there's three sides, right? My side your side and the correct side we need to understand what the correct side is but if if i have this victim mentality in my life if my attitude is woe is me something wrong has been done against me man we are going to be defensive people have you guys have have ever ever had to deal with a defensive person That's not easy. That's not easy. We can't do that. We have to reign uh, in our relationships with love, not hate, not toxicity, not selfishness. Love. And finally, it is going to affect how we cooperate with people. Um, When we think of people... And we're envious of them we distrust them we don't like them but then we still mingle with them but at every point we want to undercut them we want to throw them under the bus have you guys been in a situation like that Like in a circle of social circle like that there's no love in there and we can't have that in our families in our in our in our church family and in our circles as much as it depends on us if that happens We are going to deal with people in a way that is not shining the light of Jesus. And I'm just going to show you an example here. When you guys go to... I think I've I've given this example to you guys. In the Philippines, I love going to fish markets because I love fish. That's probably my number one thing that I go to is fish. Okay? Fish. I like going to the fish market, seeing the fish that are for sale there. Okay? The fish are... Normally dead, like on the counter there. You just buy it. There's some that are on like in the water, fresh. But I always like looking at these guys. I like playing with them. Do you guys know what they are? Crabs. Crabs in a bucket. Why are the things? They're alive usually. Why are the fish dead? Some are alive in a in a, in a little in the containers. Why is there a bucket on the floor? Like, aren't they just going to leave? Aren't they afraid that they're just gonna get out and leave? Do you guys know what's going on here? They're just gonna crawl out and leave, like but they don't. They never do. Do you guys know why? That's the crabs in the bucket syndrome. It's the crab mentality syndrome. Do you guys know what that is? The idea is the crab may may think, oh, I can just climb out of here, but you know what the other crabs are gonna do? Oh, where are you going, Bob? come down here. Oh, Julie, come down here. Let's talk. They're not, you're, the other crabs are not going to let you. Do you know why? Because there's this enemy mentality in their minds. If I can't have it, you can't have it. If I can't succeed, you cannot succeed. I'm going to make sure that you can't succeed. If I can't get this, you will not get this. Because I am envious. Because I am distrustful. And because I am selfish. There's a lot of implications with how we use love towards our enemy. Okay? Because enemy really is, it, is, is this concept in our minds that these people do not share what we want to do. These people... Um, uh, we're envious of these people. We are upset at these people for some reason. It's not just the people that want to harm us, but it's people that we don't like. And there's a lot of implications on this. And so Jesus tells us, right? This is what the world thinks of enemies. They hate them. But this is what I want you to do. I don't want you to hate them. I want you to do the opposite. I want you to love them. Positively do good for them. Don't just kick them to the curb. Pray for them at least. Okay? But then he tells us why. He tells us the reason why. Here's the reason why that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He tells us the reason why we need to love our enemy is because we are sons, our children of our Father in heaven. This is what he does. He loves his enemies. Being children, we also need to do the same. A lot of times people know this. Even people that are not Christians, they know this. They, they, they know not to retaliate. Because they know, they have this understanding from experience perhaps, that retaliation only leads to more stress. But the reason why they don't is because there's this underlying selfish motives of revenge and power i'll give you an example okay i think it's here it's here there you go meme again i love memes you guys realize this now read that happiness is the best revenge because nothing drives your enemies more insane than seeing you smiling and living a good life At first blush, you're going, oh yeah, that's true, that's good. But if you think about the heart of that, that's toxic. That's pharisaical. That has an enemy right there. You're doing something good, so the other person feels bad. And people go, well, the Bible talks about heaping burning coals on people's heads. See, another thing, another hard doctrine to teach because people don't understand, right? The context. But if you look at the context of that, it goes all the way back to Egypt where people didn't have electricity. If you didn't have electricity, you have, you have a hearth or like a, like a furnace. And sometimes during cold day, during cold days, cold evenings, that fire runs out. So what does the father or the mother do? They put on cloth, and they put on this container on top. And they go over to their neighbors, and they go, can I please have some coal? And what do they do to help them? They heap burning coals on that person's head to help them with their heat. It is not a revenge thing. If you look at the context of heaping burning coals on his head, Jesus is talking about positively loving your enemy not avenging yourself or making them feel bad about themselves why would we interpret that differently it doesn't make sense does it when we have an attitude like this one right here we want to do something that looks good in front of people but deep in our minds and in our hearts we are still bitter we are still upset hate is still percolating in our minds and in our hearts against this person who did us wrong that is not a good reason to love your enemy jesus reason is tied to our identity is because we are children of god and the children of god this is what they do they love in first john 4 7 and 8 we've seen this before beloved let us love one another. Why? For love is of God, and everyone who loves is a child of God. That's one way of saying born of God. And not only that, if you love, you know who your dad is. Who know who you know who your father is. If you don't know how to love, you're not really like you don't have a resemblance to your father. Like I love it when people come to me and they go, Oh, your children look like you, or your children look like Linda. You know what I'm saying? My children resemble me. But Jesus, God, he loves it when his children resemble him. When people go, oh, you must be a Christian because your love just emanates from you. You are so forgiving. You are so kind. What's that? Love is patient. Love is kind. Keeps no record of wrongs. Does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Oh, you must be you must be a godly person because your father, I can see your dad in you. That is what we are called to do here. The reason is because of our identity. But Jesus does not stop there. He ties identity to our purpose. Remember the purpose that we have here? One of the things that is easy for me to understand our purpose here is that Jesus put us here, the church, us, to be the salt and the light of the earth that we should make the difference. We should shine a light to people. So he says in our passage, right? In verse 40, 46, he says, um, what happens if you love those who love you? What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, in some version it says friends only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do that? Well, I know we don't have tax collectors today, the way that they had back then. But we can substitute that with, like, I don't know, gang members. Gang members also love their own families, right? The reason why God wants us to love our enemies is because it is who we are. And it's our purpose to shine a light to them. But if we are going to do exactly the the things that they do in relation to their enemies, how is that that fulfilling our purpose? How is that contributing to our identity? It doesn't. Because we are going to be like them. We're no different than them. If we're not going to be any different than them, then it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Now, I think I have a picture here. Okay. I want you guys to think uh, to think about who this is. You probably know already some of you. But I'm going to preface this story by telling you. A lot of times we think about loving our enemy and there's this thing niggling in the back of our heart heads. This person did something really bad to me and uh, the thing that I cannot wrap around my mind is why would God tell me to love this person when I just wanted to? I just want to hurt them in every way possible. When my whole being and the people around me and the world is telling me that, Jay, loving your enemy does not make sense. It's like the stupidest thing in all of the earth. It doesn't make sense because if you, if you, if you let them do that, they're just going to walk all over you. They're going to do bad. They're, they're just going to ramp up their, their evil against you. They're, they're, it's not going to stop. You're just going to live a miserable life. Don't do it. And then we see, well, I don't see the point. I don't see the point. This person is Corey Ten Boom. And this person, her example tells us that the world is wrong and Jesus is right. That we need to love our enemy. Her example tells us that when we follow God's command to love your enemy, everything falls in its proper place. Things make sense. This person's name is Corrie Ten Boom. Corina, I think her. Or Cornelia Ten Boom. She's Dutch. Um, She died. She passed. I think she was born in the 1800s, 1820s. And then she passed away in the 1980s in the States. Um, she uh, lived in the Netherlands during World War II. And when the Nazi uh, army were there that took over the Netherlands, uh, Corey and her family harbored some Jewish people in their house. Okay? See the book that, she's, she's, uh, she's, uh, that she has there, The Hiding Place? She wrote about that in her best-selling book. The hiding place. Okay, but her father died in prison, and then when Cory and her sister Betsy, uh, uh, they were sent to a concentration camp, a female concentration camp in Ravensbruck in Germany. But there, it was atrocious. They're all females. The the the, the evil that, that were that, that were done to them and against them were just atrocious. But then, for some reason, she was freed. Okay, she was freed after the war. What she did was she told people her story. She traveled everywhere and tell, told her stories. But one time, in a place where she spoke, there was this person that came towards towards her, and she recognized this person. Do you guys? Can you guys think about where she would know this person? It's a man. She recognized this person because he was one of the guards at Ravensbrook where she was detained as a prisoner in a concentration camp. She remembered doing some, like this person doing hideous things against his sister and against her. But he came to her and said, I love your message of forgiveness and redemption. I have myself become a Christian. But I came here today to see you and approach you because I know that Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. But I want to tell you that I apologize for what I've done against you. But I just want to hear you tell me that you also forgive me as well. In her book, she said she was shaking. She didn't want to hold the person's hand. This guy's hand was like this the whole time. And her hands were like this, stiff on the side. She wanted to just crush this person's head. But you know what she did? She said a little prayer in her head. said, Lord, please help me. And then she shook the person's hand. And this, was, this is what she says happened. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our own forgiveness, any more than on our own goodness, that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. That is why the Apostle Paul tells us This passage right here, Philippians 2.13. When we trust God and do what He tells us, this is what happens. God works in us to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Think about it. Love your enemies at first blush? No! But when we think about allowing the Holy Spirit to do His will in us, to demonstrate His fruit in our lives, then we understand that things are going to change. It is a real thing in psychology. When you love in action, your emotions change. Your inside changes. There's this love. There's this honest goodwill towards the other person. But then Jesus tells us, finally, what we need to do to be able to effectively do this. He says, therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And again, society tells us that this cannot be done. Loving your enemies? Totally impossible. And impractical. But I uh, there's this book that I was reading a while back from G.K. Chesterton. He's a, he's, he's, a, he's a writer. He wrote this book, What's Wrong With The World? He said, The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Loving your enemies is difficult. So many times, even Christians we leave it untried because we think it's difficult. But it's the only way. It is the only way. A lot of times we think, you know what? Loving your enemies is reserved for like, you know, super Christians like Tim and Darlene. Right? Or Chad and Kim. It's reserved for the elders. If you're going to be an elder, you got to be this. But if you don't, you don't have to. No. Loving your enemies is a basic requirement that that Jesus asks of us. It's for all of us. It's basic. This is where it's really tough. When we understand that loving your enemies is something that God calls all of us to do, then we snap to it, right? We need to try it, even though it's difficult. 1 Peter 2, 20-22, Jesus gives it a, as an example. I, I mentioned this to you before. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Okay? He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Even when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him Who judges justly. You know, you read the account of when Jesus was going through all his suffering before he went on the cross. There is this one passage there that really made me mad. You know, one of the things that people did to him was people spat at him and punched him across the face. I can just, I can just, I can't imagine that. Jesus could have just he didn't even have to flick his fingers. He would have just did this and that person would have melted in front of him. He didn't do that because he wanted to show us an example. If he can do it, he wants his people to do it as well. There's a lot of th- a lot of things that we think about what would it take for us to succeed as a Christian? You know, that question has been asked so many times because we want to know how we should grow in a certain way so that we could be, we could set ourselves up to succeed. When Jesus says you ought to be perfect like God, he doesn't mean you have to be sinless. The word there, the meaning is you need to be complete, mature, right? That's, that's the word, not perfect like no mistakes, you need to be mature and complete in God. Like, your identity and your purpose is tied directly to Him because He completes you. Not our things, not our car, not our house, not our jobs. He does. When we do that, then we're going to do what He says. Okay? But um, the world has always thought about how are we going to um, help people to be successful. You know, many times... A long time ago, people thought, you know what, we should measure people's knowledge. Because that would, we would understand how, how they would succeed as, as, you know, in school or at work, right? So there's this thing that they did. They measured this. Do you guys know what that is? IQ. The intelligence quotient. The stuff that you know. And the, your ability to be able to solve problems using reasoning. But eventually, um, experts found out this was not enough. This just gets you in the door. This is the book smarts. Book smarts just get you in the door. It doesn't necessarily keep you in there. So they thought of other things. Okay? And many scholars and experts are saying, this is more important than IQ. You guys know what EQ is? Your emotional quotient, your emotional intelligence. There's tests that, that test that. Essentially, what EQ measures is your social skills, your empathy, your ability to understand and know how you're feeling and how you express it to others and to understand how people are feeling. They measure that and they found that EQ is better than IQ in that, yes, IQ IQ gets you in the door, but EQ helps you stay in there and it helps you progress. Do you guys see what's going on here? It's not just your book smarts, but it's also your social skills. Okay? Social skills in our sphere as Christians can be translated in one word. Love. Love. God does not just tell us, hey, come to church and learn everything that you need to know. Be book smart. He doesn't say that. Because the Bible is practical. It's all about love. It's all about dealing with other people. It's all about opening yourself to other people in relationships. It's about your emotional intelligence. It's about how you're, you're, you, you inform yourself on how to deal with other people. This is how we are going to be able to grow. It's not just information. It's transformation. It's not just... Um, Knowledge, it's love. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us knowledge pops up. If we just fill our minds with knowledge, we are going to be boastful. We are going to say, I know this, you don't, I'm better than you, you're nothing. But knowledge should not stay that way. It should be applied. And that application of that knowledge is wisdom. And that's love. And this love builds up. So, brothers and sisters, as we conclude today, I just want to tell you. If we are Christians today, we are people of the Great Commission. We have a mission in this life. And that mission is to help and partner with God so that we can bring His creation restored back to Him. That is the whole purpose why we are salt and light. But here's the deal. The world that God tells us to go out into, does not want us to go to them. Jesus has given us his gospel message, the message of reconciliation. But these people, they want nothing to do with that message. And so in that regard, we have enemies. But Jesus tells us, love them do good for them, bless them, and pray for them. We need to remember that love is the tie that binds everything together. And we need to grow in that. So as we sing our song of encouragement, our song of invitation, I want us to remember love. And the song that we're going to talk about, uh, that we're going to sing about is the greatest commands. Love, loving God and loving others. And as we do that, Let us be encouraged today to love our enemies.